Hello everybody and welcome to The Media Beat. We are on to number 30 now and you know the form. I talk to two of the most uh, knowledgeable and interesting people in the world of media today uh, and we all learn a great deal. As usual, I'm joined with my colleague from Arthur D. Little, uh, the world's oldest management consultancy company, uh, Maureen Kerr, and she leads the media practice for Arthur D. Little and does uh, incredible work, including uh, unleashing the power of digital data, etc., with her media um, clients. Hello, Maureen. Hello, Oliver, and hello, listeners. Indeed. Always nice to remember the listeners. Uh, she is joined by a friend she's had and a colleague she's had for many, many years. And I think she's now my friend and she is uh, Claire Tavernier. Uh, and she has held a variety of senior roles in media companies. She now works as a consultant, uh, interim and a commentator on the industry and on this podcast, thankfully. Hello, Claire. Hello, my friend Oliver. Hello, Maureen. Hello, listeners. There we go, the big three. And we are all looking fabulous, uh, I have to say, on the video. It's uh, a shame for those not being able to see us, but we, we do look great today. And I'm uh, really rather proud of, uh, of, our, of our turnout. So um, we better crack on. So we've got a lot to do. Uh, the deep dive today is going to be in gaming, uh, which is something that we've touched on quite a lot uh, in recent episodes, probably almost from the uh, beginning when we started out last year. Uh, but we're going to do uh, a deep dive into that now, what it is, what it means, where the money comes from, how big it is, etc. The future. Uh, we're going to be talking about things like uh, the box office, trouble at the European Commission, the streaming backlash, the strike, Twitter, the metaverse, Oregon's privacy law, Gen AI, of course, because we are um, alive, sentient humans, and therefore everybody's talking about Gen AI. Uh, all that stuff is coming. But let's start with gaming. Um, both uh, Maureen and Claire have uh, a lot of knowledge in this area. Um, Claire, uh, I know you've... Um, uh, done quite a lot of research into this and uh, you're probably best to start with. I mean, we have this idea of gamers being strange people um, sitting on strange seats with enormous headphones, eating pot noodles and gaming all night and looking very pale. Um, but I think that's a, a quite an unfair and unrealistic and inaccurate uh, description of most gamers. But can you, um, from your perspective, give us a, a more uh, a more sane and accurate overview of gaming, um, what it is, how, how big it is and... Um, and, uh, uh, and, and and basically a little bit of more detail so that we understand it a bit better. Sure. Well, you know, I'm sure there are a few people on comfy chairs with headphones and pot noodles, but there are also a lot of people in the tube playing Candy Crush. And these are, uh, for the purposes of what we call the video games market, these are also gamers. So that's a much wider definition of gamers. But yes, it's interesting to think about the, the, the gaming market. First of all, the first thing to say, and people say this a lot, but you have to sort of pause and take it in. It's a very, very big market. It's a market that was worth $170 billion last year in global revenues. And yes, that number feels so big that it's kind of hard to grasp. But just to put it into, into some context, that's five times greater than global movie box office revenues last year. So five times, that's that's a lot. And yes, of course, movies make money from not only the box office, from, from other sources as well. But still, it gives you a sense that this is a very, very, very big market. It's also a market that's growing very fast. It's been growing 
very fast during the pandemic where everybody was using pot noodles with big headphones on, but it hasn't actually slowed down that much since it slowed down a little bit. It's still, it's still uh, predicted to grow at a, a compounded annual growth rate of about 10% between 2022 and 2030. Still a lot of growth in that market compared to some of the other media sectors that we've talked about that don't seem to be generating that much growth. Now, I said Candy Crush is also gaming, and today mobile gaming, so Candy Crush and its equivalents and all the other games that you can play on your mobile, accounts for about half of the total annual gaming revenues worldwide. So it's it's half of it. The, 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 you know, you still have your console gamers uh, that, that play the big games on the big consoles. You still have your PC gamers, which is a third category, and those are games that you can play on your PC. They tend to be slightly smaller than the console games, but still some of them are hugely popular. Uh, Steam is one of the biggest distribution platform in that market. But really, mobile gaming has uh, emerged and taken the world by storm in terms of, of its revenue potential. So first thing to say is when you think about the pot noodles people, just just remember that that's that's not even half of your market. The other thing that's changed quite dramatically is that if we now focus more specifically on console gaming, that was dominated as was so much of the media market by physical products, meaning you had to go into a shop and buy something and then bring it to uh, your home and then play it. And while this market has been much slower to to move over to digital downloads than other uh, parts of the market, such as music first and then movies. And partly it's about the size of the download. So music is a very small file, if you've ever downloaded a song. Uh, movies, a slightly bigger file. Games tend to be enormous files. So, you know, there was an advantage in having it in a physical product. But today, digital downloads make up roughly 90% of all video games uh, sold around the, the globe. So the, this whole packaged goods side of the market is very much uh, disappearing what else is going on in in the in the in the gaming industry uh, a lot of hype around some of the things that we've talked about in the in the recent uh, podcast a lot of hype about uh, hype around ai and what it can do in terms of the production of the games a lot of talk of the cloud and we've talked a little bit about microsoft and it's uh, attempt to buy Activision. Now you have to think that Microsoft is one of the three biggest console makers, obviously with Xbox, and Activision is the on the biggest. Activision Kings, Activision Blizzard Kings is the total king is the total name of the company, is the biggest uh, pure play games publisher in the world. And King is also the publisher of Candy Crush, so it's got a massive stake in this mobile market as well although the mobile market is actually dominated by Tencent, the Chinese company. So we've talked about the Microsoft Activision acquisition in the context of cloud gaming. And before I hand over to Maureen, I'm going to just do a little bit of a deep dive on cloud gaming, which is that this was the next step, cloud gaming. Cloud gaming, if you think about it, is the same as streaming. When we started moving uh, from DVDs to watching, watching movies, uh, digitally, the first thing we did was download them and then watch them. And then uh, speed of broadband became good enough, or the speed of mobile networks became good enough that we could stream. So we are not downloading anything worth streaming the movie. Now, the equivalent in gaming would be cloud gaming, which means you don't have to download anything and you play. Now, the problem with that is that when you're down, when you're streaming a movie, this it only goes one way, right? The movie is delivered to you. When you're gaming, it goes both ways, and it goes both ways in a very, very fast way. And if you press the button on your 
whatever, I don't, I don't play this game. Controller? You press the button on your machine gun or you press the accelerator on your car and it doesn't immediately react. And there's a word in the industry called latency. The, the longer the latency, the, the worse the gaming experience. And so far, broadband networks, most broadband, most countries do not have the broadband infrastructure to really truly do an at-scale cloud gaming experience. But of course, people think that's that's where the market is going. The other biggest, bigger trend, big trend in, in the market is subscription gaming, which is, again, if you compare it with, you know, blockbusters versus Netflix, it's just the idea that you pay every month and you get access to all the, all the games you want rather than having to pay per game. And that's also something that's, there's been a lot of attempts to make it work. It hasn't quite worked yet, but Microsoft is very keen. Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo, who are the two other players, are very keen to to find a system to make it work because obviously it smoothes your revenue out. It means you kind of know what's coming every time. That's it. I think those are my, whatever, five minutes on gaming. And I'm going to hand over now to Maureen to talk about some recent news, especially around Microsoft and Activision. Well, wow, um, Claire. I mean, that's um, a really comprehensive view of the gaming market because I've, I've, I've often been struggling with the idea of it is so big, the market, uh, where are the revenues coming from, and 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 in the news, in the news is very much a um, there's a new zoo which is a really interesting data research business that came out of a a great survey, and what really stuck stuck out for me uh, was that of the players that you're referring to, um, about fifty percent or half of the players um, are recognizing and discovering new brands and new brands are then moving on um, into this environment because they know they can reach new audiences and by that new demographics. So I find it fascinating that, um, you know, a lot of um, commercial advertising and marketing spend is going towards the gaming environment for that reason. It's basically an attention economy uh, that is attracting great sponsorships, great sponsors. So uh, it was great to see the survey res results around, uh, around that. Um, um, the other thing was, um, it's interesting that even though it's a highly competitive market, uh, we have picked up rumors that, um, that Google and YouTube um, are entering the fray and they're testing a product out uh, on their own staff and employees, um, I should say, uh, with a game called uh, Playables. So I, I found that fascinating as well, that uh, given that um, Google is uh, involved in so many other things that they want to get into sort of the gaming, the gaming market. So there were two things I, mean, I wanted to add. It's interesting because they, they were, they were in, sorry, I'm interrupting, they were in gaming. They, they, they created a, a platform called, I want to say Stadia, Stadia? Stadia. I don't know. Stadia. It was Stadia. Yeah. Stadia. Yeah. Yeah. And they closed it down. They, it, it was all about trying to create this subscription gaming market. And, and it was, you know, and Google is famous for trying things out and then closing them and when it doesn't work. So it's really interesting that they're coming back into it. Exactly. And and I think, why be so? I mean, and if they do that because uh, perhaps the brands and the sponsorship monies are really sort of taking them in that back in that direction. So, um well, good, good, good on them. But it is, it is, it's much more, as you've described, Claire, the gaming market is a sizable um, segment of the industry, major industry, and it's, it's, it really is fueling the attention economy. So, um, yeah. Uh, but, but to your point, though, uh, yes, I mean, we've been following the news around Microsoft and Activision uh, and the, uh, of course, the largest acquisition uh, known to man in the gaming industry. Um, and, of course, in the UK, they, they, they said, 
the competition authorities said no, uh, Europe said yes, and we understand that the FTC is now saying um, perhaps yes. So uh, I think that was the news this, this, this week, um, that, that there was a positive leaning towards that deal going through. So, yeah, major, major, major news item. Yeah, I, th- I think the FTC tried to say no, but they couldn't quite get it through. And uh, and so so it is. it sounds like it's a yes in the, in, the, in, the U- in the US and a lot of attention now on the CMA in the UK, which is the last bastion of it and has... Because they've published such a damning report on the deal, uh, they've sort of painted themselves in a corner because it's going to be very difficult for them not to, cl- you know, walk back from that report and grudgingly, grudgingly accept that the deal has to go through. So I'd expect Microsoft to make some token, um, small, you know, uh, gestures in order for the CMA to be able to change their mind without losing too much face. But it's it's going to be interesting, I I think, with I mean, the European decision was already a big step in, in for Microsoft. But with the with the new news on the US, it's it's now going to happen, which, by the way, Maureen, this is a side side story, but potentially opens the door for Microsoft to look at Netflix again in the future. Indeed, oh, that's the big one. <laughs> Yeah. Um, do you guys have anything on, on the techie side to, to talk about? Uh, I've got I've just written VR, AR, AI, MV. I forgot what MV was, but metaverse, I suppose. So virtual reality, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, of course, we have to mention, uh, and, and metaverse. To me, um, for example, the metaverse uh, really just sounds like AR and VR. It's just a very cool expression. I don't know if you have any any um, uh, any opinions on 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 those technological advances which are going to um, have an effect on the the gaming industry. I think VR has proven, to be honest, a little bit of a disappointment for gaming. It's never, you know, it was going to be the next big thing, and actually, it's one the production costs of VR games are enormous, uh, and two, it's never really taken off. Even though you have this, this I'm going back to the image of the of the guy in the chair with the headphones. You know, it's still a mass market product. There's still, a, you know, several hundred million, a billion people playing these games, and the VR headsets just never really entirely made it. So I think I don't know. We'll see with the Apple VR headset coming up, but they haven't focused. It's interesting that they really aren't focusing on gaming as their primary experience. So, in a way, I think I I don't see VR as as, as crucial. Uh, to the gaming market as it was once hyped to be. But Maureen might have a different view. Yeah, no, no I, I think I agree with you because you, you're seeing, I mean, the three major players are Meta, Apple and uh, and Google, of course. They've all been spending a lot of money in both augmented reality and virtual reality. And, and I think a lot of the uh, the projects related to VR have either stalled or, um, you know, been, 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 been cancelled. And there's obviously been lots of restructuring in across all the different teams um, across all those three businesses, but I mean, I would, I would, I would, I think we mentioned this before, but I, I put my hand up to. I think it's amazing what what Apple's doing, and Apple's now saying it's, uh, you know, it's good Apple Glass. Now, you know, it's a Vision Pro, which is a, an extraordinarily expensive uh, 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 headset. But um, I, I think there's some fantastic initiatives that will come out of that, and I think also precipitated by all of the AI-related uh, environment. And as Claire says, it's not necessarily only for the gamers it's for it's for the household it's for the i mean at the moment i heard some comments that said uh the vision pro is for is for very uh very very expensive um uh, visionary experience on in the first class 
lounges and the first class uh, <laughs> cabins of airlines because <laughs> you sort of you know, need to put it on your face and fall asleep you know um and, and it's so expensive that the only people who can fly first class can probably can afford the uh, apple glass so um so so i think these initiatives are are, are progressing um oliver and they are um you know uh, still pretty pretty top of mind as a, a subscription models or indeed the you know physical devices um to aid the experiences uh, both for you know ordinary sort of content and also um you know, thinking about the gamers but i think it's for a broader audience and the metaverse is is already live in gaming you know the, the roblox is the example everybody always mentions roblox is a metaverse there are metaverses alive and well in gaming they're just you know they're not Zuckerberg's metaverse, but it doesn't mean they're not real. Uh, so the, the concept of the, the sort of immersive universe, Minecraft is a metaverse, concept of the immersive universe where you can do stuff with an avatar and interact with other people and with brands, as Maureen was saying, that's very much already happening um, in, in a lot of gaming environments. So um, yeah, I think that's happening. And AI, AI we've talked, well, we can talk more about, but AI is being a lot of the initial applications of AI, I'm not talking too much about generative AI, but AI generally and machine learning were, all, were around building games, massive games with incredible graphics and you know millions of um, non-playing characters, all different from one another, thanks to, thanks to the power of, of artificial intelligence. So this, this, it's definitely been at the forefront of production methodology. But also added to that, that, that it goes back to this. I mean, we started the conversations around gaming and with technology underpinning gaming and perhaps the use of AI and VR in gaming. But I think gaming has always been, I think, a test bed uh, for 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 other uses, uh, and and a film industry is learning from it. And and I don't know. I mean, we saw the um, the commentary around McGraw Hill as a, an educational provider working alongside Verizon uh, and 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 using AI for oh, sorry not AI but AR uh, for group learning activities so you know that that whole experience as a group together remotely you know so 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 I think that the the gaming community is, as I say is a really good and interesting test bed for for the use of certain devices, you can sort of see how, how it is applicable. And then the wider industry is using it either for educational purposes, you know, the, the, the movie industry, film industry, TV industry, or indeed even pharmaceutical industry or the medical devices industry. So um, I think it's, I, you know, I think it's still, I think the major players are still investing uh, significantly in, in these areas. And I think we're going to see more coming out of them just in this sort of, let's say, let's say, um, fiscal tightening environment, mm. I think some of the projects have been stalled. And then finally, the other thing that's worth mentioning on gaming that um, is really exploded this year is there's always been I, IP, intellectual properties, uh, brands, stories, etc. I've always moved from, from movies and TV into gaming. But uh, in the past, efforts to bring uh, gaming properties over onto television or movies has not always been successful, but we've had two big successes this year, The Last of Us being one and Mario, the Super Mario movie being the other of, you know, two very successful examples of gaming IP moving to TV and movies. So I think that's another interesting maturing of the of the gaming market. Mainstreaming, and at, maybe that's the word. And at, and at, 
Yeah, and added to that, I, I think you're absolutely right. So in addition to Super Mario, Last of Us, you've also now got um, a very specific sort of TV. So it's now TV games. So Twisted Metal mm. is now mm. one that's a sort of um, uh, the Sony uh, uh, distributor of, of that with Peacock in the US. Uh, Twisted Metal with Anthony Mackie and Stephanie Beatrix is coming to, um, well, it's now, I think, released in the US and now it will come into the European uh, and UK markets quite 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 soon. So, um, added to the film, there's now TV, which I, I think is it's 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 certainly a really good basis to see more of that IP transference and IP IP transference to film and TV. It's gonna be fascinating. Yeah, that crossover is amazing. Yeah, and I suppose when you, when you come to metaverse, maybe I'm a bit sniffy about it, but I suppose Minecraft is metaverse in a way. You get yourself immersed in those building blocks, and I, I guess you're in a in a, in a virtual. Uh, a virtual universe. We have to move on. Uh, there's more to come. Uh, that's absolutely uh, fascinating. And I, and I think we've just invented a, a persona now, the uh, pot noodle man, which is possibly a bit sexist. But um, uh, hopefully we've managed to blow know, that it's, myth. It's, it's, it's sexist towards men or women, though. It's a good question. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think also it's true to say, isn't it, that um, in terms of demographic, the, the women make up a, va- a, a large, large proportion of gamers as well. It's not, it's not, it's not that Well, uh, in terms of console gaming, it's still only about a third. Uh, mm. Mobile games very different, very different yeah. demographic. But yeah. a third, it's not like you know, zero. <laughs> Yeah, and we were looking at some statistics recently, um, and um, particularly in the US, it's even it's even higher, uh, Claire, at over fifty percent uh, now uh, female gamers. Yeah, but overall, that is. Yeah. And a one hundred and seventy billion dollar industry. That is, uh, well, that's the, that's the fact of the show so far. But we have to move on, uh, and guess what? We know what comes next. This is in the news. Okay, first up, Twitter. Uh, Claire, you want to talk about reading limits, you want to talk about threads, uh, you want to talk about Elon, did he forget to pay his bills, or is AI to blame, or is he just being a pain as usual? Uh, Twitter, uh, Claire, what's the scoop? Well, uh, who knows, right? A few things happening on, on Twitter. A few weeks ago, uh, Elon said that he was going to introduce reading limits for People on Twitter, they could only see if you if you're not paying. I think it was 600 tweets a day, but then it got changed to a thousand. Nobody really knows what it is now. If you pay, you get a bit more. And he said that's because of the bots. It's all about AI. But then other observers said, yeah, but it might also be because you haven't paid your bill. Because in the meantime, there's been a lot of noises about Twitter not settling hosting bills, technology bills, supplier bills, etc., uh, which is interesting. In parallel. Our friend Zuckerberg has launched Threads, which is a supposed to be a Twitter competitor launched on the Instagram platform, an instant messaging platform that has a lot in common with Twitter. And the initial take up was enormous, although slightly artificial, because one, everybody wanted to see what it looked like. Two, when you sign on to threads, you immediately get added to all of your Instagram contacts and Facebook contacts, et cetera, et cetera. So you're, everybody that you're connected with in the, in the meta empire gets logged on to your thing. So it suddenly looks like you have a lot of traffic. It's 
the initial interest has slowed down a little bit. I think there is activity there, but it's quite small. They're, they're still working out the functionality. It doesn't quite work in the way that Twitter works. If you're trying to find trending topics or even search for a word, I've tried the other day to search for Microsoft and it did not work. Uh, so it's not quite there yet. Um, who knows what it will end up being? I think, you know, if anybody can create something that's certainly the technology will be more stable and it will be stronger. Uh, the, and it will eventually develop functionalities along the lines of Twitter. So it may it may emerge as a competitor. I don't know. I wouldn't write it off. You know, it was interesting that Insta when TikTok started exploding, Instagram launched Reels and everybody mocked them for trying to, you know, do something that already existed. But Reels has been a huge success and they've monetized it really, really well. And people have tended to start, you know, there's this famous ongoing joke that, you know, no, of course I'm not on TikTok. I'm like all people of my age, I watch my TikTok on Reels. Thank you very much. It, they've sort of attracted another demographic that watch the same content, but on their platform with some ads. So I'm definitely not writing them off yet, but let's let's keep an eye on it. Okay. Uh, thank you. <laughs> A story which will run and run. I should probably not say that every single time. Um Maureen, over to you. We've got, yeah, stuff happening at the box office, blockbusters. I know you're going to see uh, Mission Impossible very, very soon, in, in a few hours, in fact, which is one of the reasons you're so excited uh, today. But yeah, what's happening on the box office? Those massive three, I suppose you'd say big hits. Numbers looking good. Future of the box office looking good. What's your take, Maureen? Yeah, so so yeah, I, I can't wait to see Mission Impossible later uh, this evening, actually. So as you, as as as, as uh, you know, in a couple of hours' time. So so just just a stock take on on some of the numbers then. So um, so we've we've uh, we've all, we've been monitoring the uh, the cinema numbers since you know COVID. Um, we still aren't yet at the same level of uh, box office numbers as 2019. We're probably around about 80% of that level. But that said, you know, 2023 over 2022, we're almost in 115%. So that was always encouraging uh, for both uh, cinema exhibitors and studios. But that says so much else has gone on, you know, around that. Um, and there are two things to consider, and that is... Um, you know the slate. So we've we've been monitoring the cinemas uh, for for some time, and you know clearly they went through some restructuring. Clearly they have some 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 issues during COVID, given every, everything was shuttered. Uh, but uh, but we've also been monitoring the slate of, uh, that that the studios are producing, and of course again there was a a late sort of a a, a, a laggard in the production. Uh, and the slate production because of, again, of COVID. But we have seen a massive, massive uptake in Q1 in terms of uh, box office revenues and a number of of really good films. I mean, Claire mentioned earlier the Super Mario's uh, film, which clearly took everyone by surprise in Q1 and really bolstered the numbers. Um, I think to date it's, it's at something like 1.3 billion uh, in box office re revenues. I think for that for that first quarter it was it was half a billion. So it's quite significant. And so everyone was really feeling positive about Q1 and Q1 numbers. But of course, as we've seen and we've commented on in our last um, in our last podcast, there, there there's some disappointing. Uh, films that have come through, you know, notably on the uh, the Pixar uh, uh, shows as well as the, the films, I should say, uh, as well as um, you know some of those uh, um, sort of Universal or sort of Mar sorry Marvel related um, uh, films. So uh, all in all, though, it, 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 the numbers were 
looking very positive coming out of Q1 to Q2. Q, Q2, again, the slate's looking really interesting. So from a cinema perspective, you think it should be positive and you think it should be good. But all the three major, four major um, cinemas are chains are still are still struggling slightly. Um, you can see that in their numbers in terms of putting prices up. You can see that in terms of the refinancing and, and restructuring, you're still seeing high debt levels. So there's going to be a high dependency on whether or not the cinema and exhibitor model is 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 sustainable going forward. But that said, that's not to take away the glory of the three major films and the and the big fight and the big battle for the eyeballs and the cinema seats that we are expecting to see and we are seeing for the summer. And they're the three big films of Barbie. Oh, I can't wait to see that as well. Uh, uh, Mission, Impo <laughs> Mission Impossible and Oppenheimer, which is uh, Christopher Nolan. So the stats again, and I, and, I, and I will shut up in a minute, but the stats again, coming out of Mission Impossible for the first weekend are absolutely mind-blowing and lovely. They're to the tune of 50 million plus, which is what we expected. But they will soften. They will soften uh, this weekend because Christopher Nolan has used IMAX technologies for his World War II film and therefore will command a lot of the uh, the cinema's uh, screens for the opening of um, Oppenheimer this 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 weekend. Um, uh, similarly, Barbie will also be sitting alongside, and there's a lot of cinemas who are actually showing the double bill. So it's Barbie Enheimer. Uh, that, that, and it'd be fascinating to see the number of people who buy double double bill tickets. And I saw one statistic today from AMC, which said 20,000 tickets in the US are double billed for this weekend. So, so, so fascinating. So although Tom Cruise should be pleased with his opening weekend, I think this weekend it will, it will be, it will be slightly softer. But one little shout out I want to give, uh, and sorry to use this platform for that, is we have seen an amazing independent film, um, do staggeringly in 13, 14 days of box office revenues. And that is, and if you don't know it already, please go and see it. It's called The Sound of Freedom. And it's about uh, human trafficking. And it's uh, Angel Studios. And I'm shouting it out because they have adopted what, what's called a sort of very non-traditional marketing campaign. And it's called Pay Forward. So it's touching the hearts and minds and the heartstrings, I should say, of people who go and see it really passionate about the subject matter. It's based on a true story. Of course, this is a significant and important issue that we're all facing, human trafficking. Um, and they are buying tickets for their families and friends. And so we think that is the reason why, in the second weekend, uh, it has earned more money than the first weekend. And so you heard me talk about the stats for um, Mission Impossible at 50 million plus. They got, in the first weekend, 36 million. And in the second weekend, so in 13 days, they're up to about 70 plus, you know, sorry, uh, sorry, 70, 80 plus, which is double, you know, more than it should be going down, but it's not. It's more than the first weekend. So a big shout out for 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 Sound of Freedom. Please go and see it. Um, I think it's absolutely amazing, you know, topics, amazing non-traditional way of marketing it as well. Um, and so they're the sort of that's the noise around um the cinema and box office. Sorry, I've taken up more time than I should do here, but 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 I think it's um again I'm just you know a big film buff. Love love the film industry, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how um you know it plays out in Q3, Q4 
for the cinema chains, but also for the studios. And of course, the studios are really seeing a sort of a crunch in terms of, uh, uh, you, know, you know, inflation driven operating costs to support their productions. And so they've got to be very mindful of as to where they start, where they fund new films going forward, because they don't often always get it right, as we've seen. There's been some failures in the last couple of uh, quarters. But I, I, will, uh, I will, I will stop jumping. I will get off my soapbox and I will stop there because <laughs> I went on for a long time. So the French media covers the sound of freedom slightly differently uh, as the conspiracy theories uh, the movie. But I haven't seen it, and I, I hear that it's it's well. Anyway, everybody should go to the movies all the time, and also we should have a podcast. Uh, team uh, evening out to see Barbie together. Uh, I think that would be very fun. And dress in pink and just you know take a, take a few pictures. Uh, so that's I agree with everything that you've said. I think we've seen also last year there was a movie uh, whose name escaped me now, but we talked about it on the podcast that did really really well. Small independent movie did really well with a non traditional marketing campaign, and I think that's that's more and more the way to go. When I am on TikTok, I see more and more ads for movies and especially smaller, more confidential movies. And it's clear that people are trying to find different ways to target audiences. Um, and yes, it's going to be interesting. I, was, I wanted to mention the writer's strike very briefly, which is now also an actor's strike. And interestingly, the three leads of Oppenheimer have all left the theatre during the premiere because the writers, the actor's strike was voted while the film was being shown and they all all three main leads uh, have decided that they would therefore, which are all, well, British, actually, interesting, have, uh, have all moved out, or Irish, I should say Irish and British, uh, have all uh, all left the cinema and decided not to participate in promoting the film because of the actor strike. don't think it's going to make any difference to Oppenheimer given the buzz, but it may make dif a difference to other movies coming in the future. Wow. Well, even for someone renowned for her analysis, Maureen, that was that was a, a tour de force. Absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely superb. The passion for movies coming through as well, um, as I think we all have. I am up for the Barbie dressed in pink. Absolutely. Also, who better than Killian Murphy to be in IMAX? Um, sized well, uh, um, display. <laughs> I think we all went a bit gooey over Killian last time, so we'll probably um, paper over that. But uh, great. What a, what a, he's like to me he's like uh, one of the uh, movie stars from the 1940s just absolutely commands the oh, screen dear. with his unusual face and his brilliant presence um but uh good for him for supporting the writer's strike as well so we've got yes scandal at the european commission is our next story um with well i'll let uh, claire explain um someone uh, a talented person from the u.s blocked from becoming chief economist for the European Commission. What on earth is going on, Claire? Well, it's been interesting because I, I've been in France uh, and this story has had a lot of coverage in France, but of course, the UK being outside of the European Union, it has not been covered very much in the, in the UK. And I do think it's an interesting one. So the European Commission offered the role of chief competition economist to an American economist called Fiona Scott Moulton, who uh, is very well known uh, for, um, she's a Yale professor, she's, she's quite famous. However, there are rules that says that you can't, you're supposed to have Europeans to fill this sort of positions and that there was uh, there was an exception made for, made for, for this specific candidate. Um, she's also known for having strong ties or former ties with the big tech companies. 
including Microsoft and Apple. And we, in the, you know, there's a lot of sensitivities around the relationship with Microsoft and Apple, especially since she would have been in charge in this role of advising on the Digital Markets Act, which is a really important uh, regulation that legislation that going through that's going through the European Union at the moment, specifically uh, designed to regulate those those big tech companies. So the sort of um, there was a massive backlash, I can say, led by the French, led by President Macron, amongst others, to say that this wasn't appropriate, that it should be a European filling this role. Uh, and and the, the backlash was very much centered around the fact that she was a non-European, I should say, although there's probably more to, to, to the reason why they didn't want her in that role. And she ended up, although her appointment was very publicized and very... And, and promoted and talked about, she then withdrew from the offer saying that it was counterproductive and, and was not right. So it's a big story, I think, and shows the tension that still reigns between the European Union in general and certain parts of the Euro European Union, probably more so, uh, and the big tech companies in America. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, we had a, we had a Canadian head of the Bank of England. Uh, uh, it's Maybe you want the best person for the job, but anyway, uh, wh what am I to know about this high-level, uh, high-level politics? Uh, so poor old Fiona Scott Morton. I, I imagine a, a woman of her caliber won't won't um, stay out of work for long. But uh, interesting one. Um, okay, moving on. Oh yes, uh, is there a streaming backlash? Uh, we have our roving correspondent Maureen Kerr with that story. I quite like this idea of uh, you guys out in the field with uh, Macintoshes on filing your report. Uh, that's quite a good idea. We now move out to, uh, yes, um, that's right, Maureen Kerr, um, for some reason in front of a building in Canada. Um, yeah, tell us all about, uh, well, I think the strike is influencing uh, the backlash on streaming and people questioning the business model. Maureen, tell us more. Yes, thank, yeah, thank you, Oliver, from the studio um, as I'm out here in sort of weather-worn, you know, really, really quite hot weather out here, Oliver, and you're stuck in the air-conditioning unit of the studio. But anyway, um, yeah, there's a couple of things with, net, uh, with streaming as we like to cover streaming on, on the podcast regularly. Uh, a couple of things then. So Netflix results came out this week. Um, pretty, pretty good, pretty strong in terms of, um, you know, meeting the, uh, their own internal expectations of, you know, uh, uh, subscriber upticks from their, um, uh, from their, uh, password sharing, uh, initiative. Um, I have to say though that the, the street and the city didn't really sort of receive it as well as expected. So there was not really much movement there. I think they were, they were expecting much more. Uh, but that said, I think, you know, all of the all of the streamers, but in particular Netflix is, you know, carefully looking at its ad tiers, its its its, its plans, uh, more broadly speaking, its content spend and the like. And so uh, we picked up that, um, you know, they have uh, they have now terminated or stopped their, their lowest um, free ad tier um, level uh, subscription package over in Canada. Um, and, one, and now one in the UK and the US, it's been expanded it, now as of this exactly. week. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So it started off with Canada and, and it's spread. So, so they're not going to they're not going to stop there. And I think this is a this is a reaction to you know they need to do more in terms of to appease uh, the the analyst community. So, um, um, and 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 although internally, as I said, they're sort of interested in it, they were pleased with their results. It's not um, it's not necessarily uh, being received well. Um, other things going on, the backlash that you referred to, and, and as Claire said. 
um, the writers and the actors strike clearly is uh, one is continuing. Uh, and, um, you know, it's the first time since I think the 1960s that we've had both simultaneously or together, so I should say, uh, the, the writers and the actors striking together. Um, you know, and, and I think the backlash comes with some very frivolous um, and uh, to be held accountable for remarks by one of the two, well, two of uh, the more significant CEOs in the industry, and that is Bob Iger, um, who basically, you know, came back, as we know, from retirement to help find his successor for Disney. Um, and we understand, actually, that he's probably just going to continue. But nonetheless, you know, he signed up to a 50 plus million contract. And he comes out and says, which is probably bad PR, but says that he reckons that this strike and uh, the lobbying effort is totally and wholly unrealistic. You know, here's a man who's standing there coming back from retirement to pick up another $54 million contract. So I think, you know, a lot of the industry is really throwing it back in his face. And then Zaslav as well has come out and, you know, they're all voicing his views of uh, uh, it being unrealistic in terms of the demands by the actors and by the writers, which we've referred to before on, on, on this show, uh, that, you know, you're talking about, you know, a void of you know, hundreds of millions where the ask is 80 and the, and the uh, sorry, the ask is 480, almost 500, and they're only given 80. And you've also got the AI issue, which is profound, profound, you know, for the profession of uh, content creators and writers. So, um, so big issues there. Uh, and then the other is, as, we, as, as we've been noting, you know, we've been monitoring this idea of, you know, in a in a in a tougher fiscal environment, what are the streamers going to do? And uh, we're seeing a significant number of um, you know consolidation and consolidation moves. We're seeing a lot of tightening in terms of pricing, pricing packages and the streams, and we're seeing plateauing of content spend. Uh, but one thing to point out too is that with the with the um, with the now merged you know Paramount Plus and Showtime, we're seeing um, you know consideration for a whole bunch of cost efficiencies that need to be achieved. And I think Paramount and Showtime, for example, need to hit something like 700 million. Uh, certain actions are being taken that will have an impact on the industry and certain shows are being cancelled. So we saw, you know, um, a lot of the uh, what we were expecting, big shows from TV big TV shows that came out of the IP from films um, like Grease and the Pink Ladies. Uh, we've seen a lot of, you know, the Italian job that's expected and, and a few others like uh, Star Trek. All of these major shows, TV shows, are now being cancelled. But not only cancelled, they're being actually you know, taken off completely. And that is to, uh, you know, help them with their um, write downs and, and in order to realize some sort of tax credits. So there's there's some really big initiatives that are happening um, in the market that, that are leading to, you know, big moves and big significant, you know, things happening for for showmakers and showrunners and, you know, owners of IP. So it's fascinating stuff that's been going on the last couple of weeks here. And if I can just build on that, just and give give a little. Uh, uh, we talked about this last year, last time we talked about some of the writers' numbers and how much they are actually paid, and we talked about residuals. And of course, residuals are uh, they 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 are also the way that actors make money. And this last uh, couple of weeks, a lot of actors from streaming shows have come out and shared 
what they actually make in residuals from swimming shows. And the numbers are insane. I mean, they're so low that you can see how it's just not sustainable. And I'm just going to give a, a few numbers. There's uh, um, a few of the actors from Orange is the New Black, which was one of the first big sort of streaming Netflix success. Um, you know, one of one of the actresses who was on 44 episodes on that show, uh, she had received a check for $27 in residuals. Uh, and similarly, somebody else who was on 54 episodes, she made $20 in residuals for those 54 episodes. And you compare that, she, she was on a couple of Law and Order episodes, which obviously were go on go on real television before streaming and she makes six she made last year six hundred dollars for this few appearances in, in law and order so that's the sort of again if you if you think about people who have to pay their rent sorry i'm on my soapbox now you know and you compare it to, to my personal soapbox uh, to, to to bob Iger's um, money and of course it's not directly comparable but you can see that the economics of the streaming model are a bit broken if that's what's happening. Because if you don't pay more upfront and the residuals go down by a factor of 10 or 20, you know, that it's not a sustainable model for the industry. So how do you make, you know, what, what do you need to change for this to actually make sense? And yes, as you mentioned, the, the, the problem and the role of AI is also very central to, to that issue as well. Because if you can create actors through AI, why would you even pay them to, to start with? She's not going to, I don't think it's going to create very high quality television going forward, but we shall see. Well, added to that as well, um, Claire, is, and this is where all the lawyers are sharpening their pencils to truly understand, you mm. know, uh, uh, copy, copyright, um, uh, you know, protection of one's image and one's voice as well. Um, you know, actors not necessarily, you know, the Keanu Reeves or the uh, Brad Pitt or the Julia Roberts or, or whomever, but uh, because they're, they're known voices. But, 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 for example, you know, a studio could just ask, you know, uh, maybe a second tier actor to come in. You know, you, you record the voice, you record the their images for that one film. But actually, that could be used and replicated for others. And again, no residuals are paid for that. So there's a whole cloning system around. So the use of AI for that, that could also put actors in jeopardy so um it's it's a real issue it's a real issue at the moment that's being looked at very very carefully i think that's a that's a subject for a deep dive in the future actually the whole that whole generative creativity uh, issue and and whether uh, you can just reproduce the same old same old or whether there will be that original spark which invents you know a new sitcom like um cheers or a new musical genre like hip-hop um we have to close it there i'm afraid fantastic and again beautiful analysis and uh yeah very interesting how still volatile it is in the streaming market with regards who gets a slice of the cake and how big that slice is that was um i am happy to report in the news Okay, as usual, we're overrunning. So lightning fast will have to be just that, uh, I'm afraid, ladies, because we haven't got much time left. So uh, it's been rich and varied content, and yet quite a lot of it. So uh, let's move on pretty quick. So the lightning fast, yeah, we've got a few. We've got a few good ones here, um, and a few obvious ones. Uh, so let's start with you, Claire. Metaverse. I mean, you know, I think it was a it was a bubble. Uh, there, there is a thing called metaverse. It's happening, whether whether we want it or not. The whole metaverse, Facebook, billions and billions of dollars. Nope, that's my experience. Yep. That's my. Yeah, uh, we already effect. sort of 
That's right. It's a very good sound effect. Uh, very effective. We've already talked about it, and that agrees with it. Um, Maureen, anything to add? Uh, I think metaverse is for brands. It's for Roblox. It's for you know that 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 environment for 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 the youngsters and for brands to sell goods. And I think they always did it brilliantly. I didn't think it was anything other than an extension of, you know, a uh, uh, an environment where you can sell great great products. So good. Um, they're the I ones like who that. are really benefiting from the metaverse. This sort of meh. Um, met, uh, uh, um, emoticon. Okay, that's lovely. Uh, staying with you, Maureen, Gen AI. Gen AI, oh, fascinating. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Can You're I just actually doing work in that area as well, aren't you, Maureen? You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm doing loads. Come to us, Arthur D. Little. We are experts in Gen AI. <laughs> we truly are. Can I just share about something? Come to our metaverse. Lightning fast, but... but but, but so I was with a Google person on a, on, on, on a panel the other day, which I'm not supposed to talk about. But um, I will talk about this because um, I'm not saying any names. Uh, and he he was using Gen AI. So he was using, uh, I think it was it was obviously Bard. He was using Bard. Uh, and we were just talking about use of Bard in a personal environment versus business environment. And he, he, he made this comment about how he, he asked to create a poem. It was brilliant. And then someone came up with, actually, uh, uh, you cannot beat the creativity of a human in terms of poetry. An example we, we tested was there was apparently a haiku created uh, by a wonderful poet uh, for a description of and a critique of or an explanation of the, if we all remember, the Blair Witch Project, the film. And it was the haiku was intense, intense, which I think is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Okay, no, we, half a haiku. So we, we put that's not a 17, it's 17 syllables. Yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, the uh, and uh, so and then so we tested it with Bard and one, they got the the format wrong. So they didn't even they, they couldn't even get the, the 17 syllables. And it was it was dull. It was absolutely dull. So it was a really good experiment to sort of see that. I just love the idea of the haiku. Anyway, I'll stop there. But I'm in love with Gen AI at the moment. I know the ethical and social issues, but I also know the business opportunities as well, which I think are going to be fascinating. And I also know the risks. But I'll stop there. Yeah. Again, another deep dive, probably. Try Pi, spelled P-I, like the Greek letter, Pi.ai. Um, that's a really, really interesting conversation. It's the best conversational piece of AI I've ever I've ever come across. It kind of helped me out with a little problem I was going through, and then I realised I was talking to a robot. Was, um, but there you go. Yes, that's good. Sorry, uh, we are getting distracted, and we're not going fast enough. Damn. Uh, yes, I'll let you fast. The Oregon privacy law, Claire. Yes, Oregon is the 11th state, I'm pretty sure, uh, that to pass a very, very restrictive privacy law uh, around um, the use of data from its uh, citizens. And it's interesting because we'll see what happens and what impact it has on various players, including TikTok. But we always, I think, assumed that regulation was going to come from, from big government. And actually, it seems to be more of a grassroots effort, certainly in the US. So we shall see what the actual impact is. But, you know, they are form on that because state legislation has managed to create real change in the US system over the years, whether it's education or health or you know, recent controversial uh, decisions by the Supreme Court. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Maureen? Sorry, I was supposed to like do something. I'm going to go with, <laughs> I don't know. We've completely oh. messed up the format. Dear. <laughs> Quite a nice question, smile, though. Like a question mark emoji. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm, I'm not going to use that minutes. I'm just going to go. 
Same yeah. one. Yeah. It's funny. I think people forget how powerful state law is, isn't it, in the US? They always think of federal law, but it's it's state law where a lot of things are actually um, uh, have teeth. Um, thank you. Good. Uh, here's got to be a quick one. Uh, let's stay with you, Maureen. Uh, write a strike. I think we've discussed it. Uh, I think we've discussed it, and I think uh, probably Claire is the same thing. I think you can't use that emoji emoticon again, but I think broadly speaking, we're on the side of people making no money uh, for doing really cool work. Yeah, we, uh, we, maybe I'll yeah, do that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to have the, uh, the the gif 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 of people counting their money, but also I think there is another element to it, which is the long term impact on the industry, which is a big sort of headache. So a headache in counting money. That's, what I'm That's good. I thought you were doing the uh, let them eat cake, Marie Antoinette thing with the uh, regal waving of the that hand. Too. That's yeah. the Bob Iger version. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I thought Bob that emoticon had many levels. Yeah, very clever. A multi-layered uh, emoticon. Uh, let us, ah, this one's for Claire, I know. Uh, it's the Weiner Zeitung, uh, which as we no, all know. No, 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 Oliver, it's the Wiener Zeitung. Wiener Zeitung. It's the uh, which, as we all know newspaper. <laughs> Oh, I thought it was it's German. A, it's the right. oldest newspaper in the world, I think, or one of the oldest newspapers in the world, and it's going to Indeed. stop. Uh, uh, it's going to stop its paper version. It's going fully online, which is a sign of the times. And we do need to do a big deep dive on the newspaper business because it, we've mentioned it several times over the last few weeks, and there's so much going on there. But obviously, it's good, probably the right decision from a business perspective. Kind of sad for people who like paper versions of newspapers, but pro probably unavoidable. So uh, I don't know. What's the emoji for unavoidable? The unavoidable emoji. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's not bad, honestly. The, the, the French have just this natural, uh, this natural innate uh, ability to uh, use their face to... Shrug uh, their shoulders. Yeah. And shrug their shoulders. The Gallic yeah. Maureen, shrug. That's yeah. exactly yeah. right, yeah. yeah. Maureen, do you have... Um, uh, I, 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 great oh. sign of times. Brilliant. Yeah. Great. I agree. I'm a, I'm a late adopter of the iPad, but aren't they good? <laughs> I sound like my mum. Aren't they clever? I love reading newspapers. <laughs> in the okay, so uh, Vina Zeitung, it's just going to happen. Um, okay, that's cool. I suppose it's a little bit like uh, we, if we were doing this 500 years ago, it would be, isn't it a shame that all the monks are not going to be able to make money out of writing on parchment anymore? Um, so finally, uh, and let us start with Maureen. I know she has an opinion on this, of course. The Musk-Zuck cage fight. Uh, Elon uh, and um, Zuckerberg are potentially going for it in the octagon. Maureen. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, I actually refuse to talk about it. Uh, I've decided. So, okay. uh, I am, so zip I'm mouth. zipped. See, there's a emoticon zipped. I got it. Yep. Lovely. Claire. Very nice. <laughs> Uh, my emoticon is somebody throwing up. You know, the vomiting emoticon. <laughs> and God, what an incredibly ugly display of toxic masculinity and too much money. And the New York Times has an actual article of it where they're like, well, yeah, but it's 70 pounds heavier, so is it really fair? I mean, like, who cares? And now Bezos is supposed to go go in and pipe. I don't, this is just insane to me. Bezos insane. is just going to stand behind him and go, hit him, Zuck, hit him. There was always a boy like yeah. that at school. So, <laughs> I feel affronted as a man as well. I, I thought mean, Zuck was most... that boy, see? Yeah, think, yeah probably. Anyway. No, no, no. He's, uh, he's, uh, no, he's ripped. Um, Zuckerberg's going to okay. take it. But I'm, I'm like you, as a man, I'm affronted because it makes everybody think that that's what men are interested in fighting and beating and being the alpha. And it's uh, it's not necessarily true. There's some lots of beta males around and we're jolly nice. Uh, 
Okay. Um, exactly. That's Before it. Before you close, Oliver, we ha I have a question for you too. It's a test. Are you ready? Yeah. What do you think? That, what do you think this word means? Nonplussed. So nonplussed, uh, uh, as I understand it, is when you mm, don't really. Well, let's put it that way. Does it mean on. surprised or not surprised? Is it surprised or not oh. surprised? When you're nonplussed, um, I thought there's an element of surprise in in the word nonplussed. I would say, is that not true? I'm getting a head shake from Maureen. No, I'm just saying. So you're, I, I say no, no, it's the other way around. Yeah. Ah, right. So, so what's one? the real? Are you saying it's not surprised? not surprised? I think you're a bit surprised. Okay, I've researched this, see, because there was a question at the Tavernier dinner table, and it turns out that it absolutely means surprise. So Oliver, yes. you get full points on that, or yes. it used to. It originally yes. means surprise because it's from the Latin non plus, no more. I can't take it anymore. I'm so surprised. However, recent usage in America has turned it around. And now in America, it means not surprised because they are not very good with words. And they just thought that because there was a non in front of it, it meant that there was not surprised. So the cha the, this is a word that now officially means both, but originally absolutely meant surprised. Yeah, I thought so. He looked on nonplussed. Yes, there is an element of exactly. uh, yep. not quite. Hmm. Oh, good. Well, I'd be more on wordplay. I'd never that. thought I'd do. There Let's take, go. A, <laughs> take one at tennis next, and then you'll absolutely hammer me. It's a little bit like the. It's not as annoying, <laughs> but it's a little bit like the word literally, which is now taken yeah. to mean in English uh, oh, very. Sure. You know, it's, so I was I was literally flying. No, you weren't. You were metaphorically flying. Yeah. Uh, he was literally enormous. No, he wasn't. He was very big. You know, it's, ah, it's infuriating. <laughs> Maybe we should have a slot. Infuriating use of language. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Thank you, uh, Claire, for giving me the opportunity to shine. Uh, English was definitely not my best <laughs> subject. But anyway, um, it only remains for me to say we have overrun, but it's been jolly, jolly good fun. So it's absolutely worth it. I'm going to say goodbye to you, Claire, first for a change. Goodbye, Claire. Goodbye, Oliver. It's been a pleasure. Uh, likewise, and goodbye, Maureen. You were obviously a bit nonplussed by the definition of nonplussed. <laughs> in, 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 indeed, I wasn't. <laughs> no. Is that a triple negative? I've no idea. Yeah. Anyway, uh, hideously overrunning with okay. too much fun. Congratulations, us, for having a laugh, um, as well as um, putting in some great analysis, superb analysis, I thought, actually, in all seriousness this week. So thank you very much. I uh, can't wait for the next one. But until then, I wish you all uh, a very good period in between this and the next episode. And goodbye. <laughs>